Good morning. It's good to be together as Brandywine Valley Church. Great singing. And not just you women out there. You know, a lot of places you go, you only hear the women because the guys don't sing. You know, we're too tough to sing. Real men sing. And so thanks for singing with us. God hears our voices as we worship him. I hope you're encouraged, inspired uh, today as well. I'm Pastor Nate Keeler. I'm the lead pastor here at Brandywine Valley. If this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. We want to invite you. Uh, like I said, after the service, uh, you heard Hayes say, actually, we're going to be out uh, outside. Even if it's your first time and you're saying, well, I didn't register for food or whatever, just come out. Get to meet some of us. We'd love to welcome you and get to meet you uh, in person. You can turn in your Bibles to James, the book of James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 27 today. James 1, 18 to 27. If you're new to the Bible, go all the way to the back and then go back about 20 pages. You'll probably run into it right around there. Also, if you're new, we have a Bible. It should be in a, a seat back in front of you somewhere. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. That's a gift for, from us to you. Grab that book. Uh, my only ask would be that you read it. And in fact, we're going to talk about reading the Bible today. That's the subject of our time in the Word. So let me go, uh, let us go together before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we open up our word today, and as we do, we look forward to seeing what it is that you will teach us about you, about ourselves, about our world. And so, Lord, speak to us as we do that. Lord, today we also enter this place with heavy hearts for our friends, our allies as a nation. Lord, for those... Um, in the state of Israel, in, um, in this attack and the multiple attacks and the unknown future that lies ahead. Lord, we pray for all those that are innocent on both sides who have lost life. We pray for those that are uh, currently kidnapped in tunnels behind enemy lines and their families that uh, are just racked, must be racked with anxiety and fear. And you are both a God of justice, as no one gets away with anything ultimately. You're also a God of grace and peace. And Lord, you desire peace. And so Lord, we ask for that. We pray that the tensions will begin to quell, that those that are currently kidnapped will be brought home and that ultimately you would uh, ferret out justice in your way. We pray for the leaders of these countries, Lord, and the decisions, the international community, as they make decisions about the future, Lord. Guide them and give them your wisdom, not the, the wisdom of man. So, Lord, we lift them up to you today. And each of us, as we enter your word, Lord, teach us because, and transform us because we sat under the teaching of your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, did you know that you could be a Bible scholar who knows all the original languages that the Bible is written in? You could be a Bible scholar who has written volumes about the Bible, details about passages of Scripture. And according to James, you could still not know how to truly read your Bible. 
And did you also know you could be a first grader still trying to figure out how to put sentences together in your kid's Bible? And according to James, know how to read your Bible better than that scholar? You know, that's true. You say, how in the world could that be true? That's what we're going to talk about today because James is going to show us how to read the Bible. Now, remember the thesis of James, if you've been following with us, James is a book about real life. It's in real life, IRL. It's how does our faith in Jesus change how we live in real life? In chapter one so far, we see how does our faith in Jesus change how we face trials and suffering? How does our faith in Jesus change how we perceive temptation and the source of those temptations and how to fight temptations? Now James is going to say our faith in Jesus, when, it, when you know, our feet hit the pavement, boots, and, boots on the ground, how do we learn to read our Bibles in a way that changes our lives? So that's what we're going to look at today. Now, there's some of us that enter this room who are like you know, already pretty good with their Bibles. We study the Bible. Some of us have been reading diligently the Bible for a long time. We get a sense of how to read it. Uh, We have a good habit in our life of memorizing scripture, and that's great. There's other people in this uh, room that are green wood. I mean, you are brand new to the Bible. You don't really know how it works. Is it one book? Is it a bunch of books? I don't really know. Maybe you say, I would assume you begin reading in the beginning and you end at the end. But other than that, man, I don't really know a whole lot else about the Bible. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle somewhere. There's a bunch of people that are like, well, sometimes I get in a habit and then I fall out of that habit of reading the Bible. You know, sometimes it seems like I know what it's saying and other times I'm completely lost. Sometimes, I've, this, is going, this is me too, sometimes I'll be reading scripture, I'll get like five minutes in and I'll go, I don't think I remember anything I just read. Never happened to you? So, so whether you're like a seasoned Bible vet or you are a new recruit to the Bible, or you are a discouraged struggler somewhere in the middle, depending on the day, the good news is James has something for every single one of us in this passage. He's going to encourage us. He's going to challenge us of how to read our Bibles, to take a next step of faith, okay? So we're going to read this section. I want you to just listen to it, okay? Don't even read along, because I'm not even going to put it up here. I want you to listen to the word spoken over you, and I want to see if you can hear what James has to say about the word of God, the Bible, in our lives, okay? So listen up. Verse 18, he, that is God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that so, is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look out, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's word. Now, did you hear what he said about the word in this text? Were you listening to that? We're gonna look together. Let's see if we can piece together how our real faith in real life changes the way that we read our Bibles. And it does so in three ways. James says that we ought to be reading our Bibles first, you can write these down, with listening heads. That is our minds attention. Look at verse 19. Now, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Listen up, okay? Write it down, he says. Everyone should be quick to what? To listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now, this is great advice for every facet of your life, isn't it? I mean, you follow this advice on the soccer field, your teammates are going to love you. You follow this advice with your friends, they're going to love you. With your boss or your employees, they're going to love you. You listen to this advice in a relationship or in a marriage, it will go well with you. Amen? Whoa, that was a terrible amen. (laughs) Don't you believe that this is true? Of course it's true. In fact, you could see this maxim talked about at a TED Talk in a business, uh, you know, in a business class. Uh, You could hear a coach saying something similar to this. Certainly this maxim holds true in every area of life, but it also holds true in our approach to God's word. And in the context, this is really what he's talking about is our approach to the word of God. Now, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that many of us struggle with listening. Let me say, what'd you say? (laughs) I'll say it again. Many of us struggle with listening. We like to talk more than we listen. You can bump the next person, the person next to you, if you think that they struggle with that. You know, one of the problems, I think, is that we do a lot of multitasking in our listening. We sort of half listen as we're trying to do something else, you know, because we're busy Americans after all. We got to get a bunch of stuff done. And so we half listen to all kinds of things. You might be half listening to the sermon right now. (laughs) We half listen to our spouse when we're trying to watch the Eagles game later this afternoon. We half listen in a meeting while we're also writing emails. We half listen to our parents when we have one of our AirPods in. Sometimes we half listen to our kids as they're telling us a story that is going on and 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 on. You know, sometimes we can get away with half listening, you know, like when you, you have to do the, the training at work that you have to watch and that you can't fast forward, you know, and you just have, you can kind of half listen to that maybe. But there's some half-listening that we do that could get us some frustration and cause a lot of extra work. Like if you half-listen or half-read the instructions when you're trying to build an Ikea bunk bed, okay? Anybody ever been there? Trial and error to that. Every time we open up God's word, if we are half-listening, not only does it cause frustration, not only do we might, might we miss something that God's word, God wants us to tell us, but it can, in fact, cause destruction in our life because we, it's like an open invitation when we're not listening to God 
for the enemy to come in and deceive us. This is a lot of what James has been talking about so far in chapter one, half listening. We need to be whole listening kind of people because fundamentally what we know about God is he is a God who speaks. Think about it. What does Genesis 1 tell us? That that God created the world. He didn't just create it with thought. He created, created it with what? Speech. He spoke it into existence. What does Hebrews say? The writer of Hebrews said, God holds all things together through the power of his word. He transforms lives through the power of his written word. He is a God who speaks and writes, and we are people that should listen and absorb that and be transformed by it. So God is saying, listen up. So practically, how do we avoid half listening? How do we wholly listen to the word of God when it's preached or when we're reading it or when we're listening to it uh, in the car? Well, a couple of practical things that James points to. Look at verse 25. He He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, they will be blessed, he goes on to say. Who looks intently. Now this is the same phrase, looks intently, is used to describe the apostle Peter on that first Easter morning when the Bible says he went into the empty tomb where Jesus was laid and was gone, and it says he looked intently. Now, how do you think Peter looked, went into that tomb? Do you think Peter went in there and go, all right, we're all good? No, no, he he went in there and he said, "Wait, wait a second, he went in with amazement, with wonder. How could it be? Where is he? he? He looked around, he looked intently. He was careful to linger in there. We might say, Peter looked with full attention and with careful examination. With full attention and careful examination. And this is how we need to read our Bibles. The same, very same way, with full attention, not distracted. Friends, can I encourage you to take your phone and put it in another room when you're reading your Bible? Put it on silent. Don't check your X feed full attention, get somewhere quiet without distractions in the house as much as possible. Pray, invite the Holy Spirit to help you focus. This is full attention and careful examination. Don't speed read. Don't just try to get through as much content as you can as quickly as you can. Slow down, look at the words, see how they relate to the other words in the passage. Ask the scriptures questions like, when did all this take place? And who are the characters in this story? And why did the author use this kind of word versus this other kind of word? Uh, What does this phrase mean? What what is the main point of what I'm reading? Take notes. Get a good study Bible to help you out. Or use a commentary for reference. A free one, completely free, that's excellent, written by a scholar, good scholar, John Constable, uh, is called Sonic Life Light, excuse me, soniclight.com. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. Everybody just write that down or take a picture of it or just throw it in your phone right now. That way you can bookmark that page. It's free. On, it's, it gives a commentary on every single book of the Bible right, that you can reference and walk through as you're reading the word of God. 
So full attention, careful examination. But there's other practical ways that James tells us that we can grow in our whole listening skills and reading God's word. Notice what he continues to say in verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's another way of describing the word of God, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting. Who continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, they will be blessed. Who continues in it, who perseveres in the word, who remains and lingers in the word. Now, there's a couple of ways we can do this. One of those is to, in order to continue in the word of God, we need to make time for it in our lives. We need to make time for it in our lives. Have you ever watched the Oscars? The Academy, I think they're called the Academy Awards, right? When people get the Oscars, right? When the, uh, the writer or the actor gets up there, they give them 45 seconds to deliver their acceptance speech. And after 45 seconds, you remember what happens? The orchestra just starts playing them off. And they have to, you know, they just have to start walking off. And that's how it works. And some of us, I think, approach the Bible in the very same way. We say, okay, God, I, get, I have five minutes. Come on, give me something I need. And then I'm going to start playing you off and getting on with the rest of my day. No, we don't do this to God. He's... God of the universe, make some time for him. I mean, just just think about that for a moment, that the God of the universe wants to spend time specifically with you in his word to your heart. Wow. Make time for him, right? Linger with him. Wake up earlier. Wake up 20 minutes, 30 minutes earlier. Use your lunch break to be in the word of God. Listen to God's word on a long commute, on a Bible app or another another app. And then, not only to continue in it, but don't forget it. This is really simple stuff, right? Don't forget what he taught you. And one of the best ways that we can not forget what he taught us is to build in silence. Y'all know what that, what that word is? It's not a word used very often in our society anymore. Silence. You say, what's silence? It's this. That is silence. We need to build silence in so we don't, we're not distracted, so that we remember. Maybe, maybe uh, one of the ways that we do that is by taking a, you know, journaling some of our thoughts or going on a prayer walk and remembering what God said or or uh, meditating, that's the scriptural word, filling our head with God's word, memorizing it, right? We need to build this into our lives. So we need to make the time, but we also, James says, we need to make the habit. We need to make the habit. Friends, listen, we will not continue in the word of God unless we make the habit in our lives. You will plateau in your discipleship to Jesus if you do not build this into your life. There's no other way around it. There's no magic pill for this. You have to make the time to read God's word. You have to make it a habit. For me, that's in the morning. I think that's the best time to do it, but maybe that doesn't work for you for a variety of reasons. But wherever you do it, it's gotta become a habit. You have to embed this in your life. As much of a habit as brushing your teeth or as making your cup of coffee in the morning. Make it a habit, make it a routine. Now, I'm gonna give you a challenge, okay? A challenge for every single one of us. 
If you want to grow in your habits of Bible study and learning how to read the Bible for yourself, if you want to uh, try to commit to it and learn how to, how, to, how to make that a habit in your life, I want you to text this number up on the screen, text Bible to this number up on the screen, okay? You can pull out your phone right now. You can text that right now if you'd like to. You take a picture of it and you're like, I'm not sure what I'm committing to. So I'll take a picture of it for now. Here's what you'd be committing to if, if you decide to do this, if you decide to take on this venture. I am going to personally teach you how to study your Bible. Your pastor is gonna teach you how to study your Bible. I'm gonna invite you to a Zoom workshop that I'm gonna lead you and whoever else wants to do it in how to study your Bible, how I learn to study my Bible, how I do my preparation as I preach this sermon so that you can learn how to get everything out of studying your Bible and make these habits in your life. So wherever you are, whether you've been you know, studying the Bible for a long time or you're green wood and anything in between, I want you to consider this challenge, okay? Take a second, text Bible to that number. You're not signing up immediately by doing that. I will send you a Zoom link and a time, okay? So consider that. All right, so the first thing that James tells us about how to read our Bible, first, we have to have listening heads, listening minds, but listening heads isn't all there is to studying and reading the Bible, is it? James also is gonna tell us that we need humble hearts. Listen to what he says, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Did you hear the power in the word of God? That the word of God, Jesus, the word incarnate, saves us. It tells us about how to be saved, he says, but not just how to be saved in time for the future, but the progressive form of the word saved, to be sanctified, to grow in our understanding of God through the word, to rid ourselves of the pollution, the moral filth, and to take the word, accept the word planted in us. See, we believe here at Brandywine Valley Church that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is timelessly true in everything that it speaks to, and therefore hold supreme authority over the lives of individuals and our church as a whole. It, what that means is that when we take a humble posture to the word of God, we rightly place the word of God as higher than our own word. That the, we submit to the word of God over, it speaks more powerfully than the word of a politician, than the word of a blogger or a, uh, you know, a podcaster that it speaks more uh, with more authority than uh, the word of a philosopher, the word of your friends, or the word of Nate, or by the way, the word of your own self-authority. And here's when we come into kind of collision with our culture, because culture tells us that we are self-determined, self-authoritative beings. Uh, the mantra in our culture is, no one can tell me how to live my life. And if you say that in most places outside this door, you will get cheers and amen, right? We think of ourselves with self-authority. Of course, the Bible says something very different. And so the, the culture often approaches the Bible, if they approach it at all, kind of like this. They're like, well, I like this. 
I don't like that. Well, this, this seems true. This I don't believe, right? And in judgment and pride to the Bible, shouldn't the Bible instead look at our lives and say, oh, I like that. I don't think I like this very much. This, you're doing a good job on this. This has got to go. This is humbly accepting the word of God to speak into our lives. Keep in mind, friends, that our modern sensibilities are not infallible. Our modern sensibilities of, and our own moral visions of the wor- world are sometimes very relative to the culture in which we live and the, the, the time and the place that we live in the world. Only God's word is timeless. Only God's word tells us for all time how to live and gives a moral vision of our lives. And if you believe that God agrees with every single one of your sensibilities of what ought to be, can I ask you to consider to make sure that you actually have the real God and the real Bible? Because God will rub up against our sensibilities as we read the scriptures. This is humbly accepting this. Now, when we have this kind of heart posture, here's what begins to happen. The word of God begins to become a mirror to our souls. And this is James' analogy that he continues on. Look at verse 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Do you know, according to at least one study, that women spend about an hour in front of the mirror a day and that men spend about half of that time in front of the mirror Ah, but teenagers spend more time than either of them. This is what at least one study tells us. But however long you spend in the mirror, whether it's a lot or a little, whether you fit those stereotypes or not, here's the point. We all use a mirror. Why? Because it gives us a true assessment of what is actually going on most of the time, right? It's objective, it will tell you what is actually going on. So you look at the mirror and you say, okay, do I, you know, do I have anything on my face? You know, do I need to pluck my unibrow a little bit better this morning? It'll tell you what's really going on. The mirror, for better or worse, tells us the truth. And this is exactly what the Bible is meant to do. It tells us of what's really going on spiritually. It, it Our own perceptions might lie to us. We might think, man, we got it all going on. We're great. Scripture will speak to us honestly about what it's really going on. And so listen to what the scripture says about itself. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You hear what scripture says? It speaks to us. And friends, this happens in my life virtually every time I read, I open up the Bible and almost every single sermon I preach, do you know that I'm first preach that sermon to myself? In fact, most of the time, what I say to you is really just what God has shown me in the mirror. What he's showing that needs a change about me and then I just come and give that to you most of the time. Let me just give you a pra- one, of the, one practical way to live out this humble posture, have a humble heart to the word of God. What I try to do every morning is pray a prayer that kind of sounds like this. Today, God, 
my inclination is to want to live for myself and to make me the authority, to make my schedule uh, authority in my life. But today I wanna humbly submit myself before you. I wanna submit to your word today. I wanna submit my agenda to you today. Help me to be your servant. Help me to be about your agenda, not my own agenda. So I'll begin my morning times in the word with that prayer. And what that does is just realign our hearts because I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long for me to wanna take over authority in my life, submit myself under the word. And when you begin to do that, watch how the scripture becomes a mirror to your soul, convicting you about areas of your life that need to change. So we listen with our heads. That's not enough. We need to have humble hearts when we read the word of God. But listen, listening And humbling our hearts isn't enough. You say, what? How is it not enough? James has something else to tell us, that we also have to listen with obedient hands. Obedient hands. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Say it with me. What's the next word? Do what it says. How about verse 25? Not forgetting what they've heard, but what? Doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Yeah. We're to read our Bibles in a different way than we read just about anything else. The Bible's a perfect combination of a historical textbook, a love letter, and an instruction manual, kind of all wrapped up into one. And so when we read it, it is meant to change the way we live. It speaks to our hearts, it speaks to what is true, but it also tells us how to live with the grain of how God designed us, not against it. His moral vision and purpose for our lives, not ours. Again, we look to James' analogy of the mirror. You know, I've noticed as I've aged, as I look in the morning, some of you are scoffing at that idea, but as I look in the mirror, I increasingly, as I look at myself, I think, did I get in a fight with a pillow at some point in the middle of the night? Did, did Shannon like elbow me in the, in the face? I mean, what is going on? I didn't go to bed looking at like this, but I'm waking up looking like this. I mean, I got bags under my eyes. I got creases on my face. It looks my, like my hair is trying to run away from my head. So what is going on here? And so, okay, well, what do I do about that when I see it? What do you do when you see that? Well, we first we lament, but then we get busy, you know, we, we wash our face. I, I brush my teeth, I shave, I do my hair, I get the sleepies out of my eyes, I put the cucumbers on my eyes. No, I, I don't do that. Like, still have my man card just a little bit longer here. Cucumbers are for eating, eating. Okay, anyway, you do all these things. Why do you do these things? Because the mirror has told you there's something you need to do about this. Don't go out in the world looking like that, Right? Do something about what you see. This is exactly what the character in James' analogy doesn't do. What does this character do? Well, this person looks at the disaster in the mirror, shrugs his shoulders, and presents himself like that out in the world as if he forgot what he looked like. Why would you look at the mirror unless you intend to do something about it? That's the analogy. Don't read the Bible unless you intend to do something about it. That's what it's designed to do. 
as we read the Bible, it looks back at us, it reads us, and we see the areas of our lives that it speaks to, we do something about it. And James is going to close this section in verses 26 and 27, showing us a couple of ways to read our Bible with obedient hands. He gives a couple examples. Look at 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep, keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, that we look after orphans and widows in their distress and we keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James says that we can't say we're Christians just because our religion, just because we go to church, just because we read the Bible or we say our prayers. Those things are good, but true religion, true Christianity reveals itself by its action by its doing, he says. Now, we're not going to go too far into that because the relationship between faith and works is something that James is going to tackle further down and we get into chapter two. And so we're going to study that. But just note here that a quick way to earn the label of hypocrite in the world is to talk big and walk small. And it's right for the world to call us hypocrites if we say, but we never do. So what does James show us? Well, he says first that reading our Bible with obedient hands should change our outer world, our outer world. That is how we interact with our world. He says, looking after orphans and widows. These two groups in the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, are emblematic of the most vulnerable people in society, much like they are still to this day. Reading the Bible, he says, with obedient hands means that we need to be looking out for the most vulnerable people in our community and our world. It means that we need to be looking out for maybe it's single moms or unborn children or foster children or people with disabilities or special needs or the poor, the immigrant, the grieving, those incarcerated, those addicted, those who are homebound, those who are sick. These are the people that God says, you can't call your, don't call yourself a Christian and not be about the business of serving these groups of people. This is why at the church we have ministries that are really focused around these groups of people within our community. I was just with one of those on Tuesday night. Uh, I poked in my head to uh, ESL, our English as a Second Language uh, group. And there was about 80 people from immigrants from all different countries there being taught, uh, being taught English, loved, prayed for, shown the hands and feet of Christ. That's awesome. That's a ministry, just one of many ministries where you can plug into to be able to serve a group of people that are in the widows and orphan, that is the most vulnerable within our community. So here's a question I wanna send your way. Where are obedient hands leading you to care for the most vulnerable people that God has put in your sphere of influence? Where are obedient hands leading you to care for the most vulnerable that God has put in your sphere of influence? Maybe that's working with uh, ministries like Foster Well here that are helping with the foster uh, community here and the parents that are fostering right now. Maybe it is at the door of hope working with uh, women going through the process of uh, deciding whether they're going to keep a child and, and give birth and the aftercare involved. Maybe it is through Urban Promise and other partner ministries that work with vulnerable, under-resourced uh, students in the city of Wilmington. Where is it that God, maybe it's a neighbor, 
You just need to visit this homebound. Where is God calling you to work with the vulnerable people? But it's not just our outer world, James says, but reading our Bibles with obedient hands changes our inner world, our inner life. Notice he says, to keep oneself from being polluted by the, wor- by the world. And one of those ways that we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world is in our speech, by keeping a tight rein on our speech, he says. Keep a tight rein on our tongue. Let me put it this way. There is so much in this world that is toxic to our spiritual and emotional and relational life and our health. Do you agree with that? There's so much in this world that's toxic. Much of our entertainment is toxic. Our politics, our social media, our cancel culture, this world's ideologies of what to live for, whether it's career or money or fame or sex, so much of it is toxic. And when we allow the word of God to shape our life instead of the world's view, we begin to discern and we begin to depollute our lives as we lean into the grain of God's design as revealed in the word of God. And this is why James says a little earlier in verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that what? Gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it will be blessed in what they do. See, when we walk according to the grain of God, God's design, it brings freedom into our lives. Now, that might be something that you haven't thought about before. You ever, when you see these two words, law and freedom, next to each other, you kind of feel like they don't belong together, do they? I mean, law and freedom. How does law bring freedom? I mean, we normally think of law as like, as something that constrains our freedom. You know, get rid of, our culture says, get rid of all that, those moral constraints, and then you'll be free. Scripture says something completely different. What scripture says is it's not the removal of all constraints that gives us freedom, but rather it's the presence of the right kind of constraints that bring freedom into our lives. Think about this analogy. Let's take a fish. If I took a fish, a live fish, and I put it up here on the platform, would you guys say I just gave it freedom? Not really, not in that sense. Maybe you freed it from the water, but that's not really freedom, is it? Why? Because a fish is made to be under the constraints in the constraints of H2O, of water. It was designed for water. You take that fish and put it on dry land, friends, you aren't giving it freedom, you're killing it. You're making it a slave, you're confining it. And so it is with our moral lives. So it is with the grain that God has designed us for. Why is gluttony wrong? Why is it sin? Is it because God is just mean and he doesn't want us to be, you know, having freedom to binge on cheesecake and beer? No. It's because God has designed our bodies and our spirits to restrain the amount of food and uh, drink intake in order for us to be healthy. It goes uh, with the grain of how he designed us. That's a constraint for our benefit, for our freedom. Why does God tell us to forgive? Not because he's mean. God tells us to forgive because he created us with a moral uh, DNA to forgive. And when we don't forgive, what it does is it constrains areas of our life. It constrains our joy. It constrains other relationships. And in fact, when you begin to release people 
And for, by forgiving them, you find out that you yourself have been released as well. And this is same thing is true for every single moral constraint that God gives us in his word. Whether it's about our relationship to money or what we watch or who we date or what we do with our bodies. So here's a question for you today. Where are you resisting God's moral constraint in your life? Say, I don't want, I don't want that constraint in my life, God. Where are you resisting? And where does God want to give you true freedom? Where are you resisting? And where does God want to give you true freedom? And I think what you'll find is there's going to be two sides of the same coin. Okay, so how do we read the Bible? James says, with listening heads, with humble hearts, and with obedient hands. Now, we are going to all struggle to do this consistently. I struggle to do it consistently. If you looked at my track record on a graph, it's not going to be all up and to the right. It's going to have downs and squiggles and it's, I think, moving in the right direction, but it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, neither is yours. In fact, there's only one graph, if we put it up here, only one person who ever lived, their graph would be completely up and to the right. And that's Jesus Christ himself, the word incarnate. You know, when he was a boy, he spent his time in the synagogues, in the temple, reading, memorizing, studying, looking intently at the scriptures of God humbling himself, accepting, absorbing the word of God into his life. You know, when he was tempted out in the wilderness by Satan, what did he do? He didn't try to stand on his own strength. He submitted himself under the word and he let the word do the talking to combat that temptation. And Jesus, when he went to that cross with outstretched arms and hands, he was obedient to death, to the wood of the cross, fulfilling the word, fulfilling the prophecies of scripture, to pay the penalty for our sin, to reunite us to God forever. Friends, here's ultimately what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying to you is there's no way for you to be able to read the Bible correctly unless you're first reading it through Jesus Christ. Because it's only him who unlocks the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, it's Jesus who said, everything that's in here is written about me. And so embrace Jesus. And as you do, he will empower you to be able to read the scriptures. I hope you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be people who read the word who look at ourselves in the mirror of scripture and do something about it. Well, we can't do that on our own strength. We thank you that Jesus went before it to do it perfectly. So that even when we fail, we know he forgives us. Lord, empower us with listening heads, with humble hearts, and with obedient hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.